You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. Let's try that one more time. This side's still kind of napping. So, uh, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you. If you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, I must confess as you do that that we are not going to be just breaking down one passage the whole time. We are finishing up our series on practicing the way of Jesus. And so we will be looking at multiple passages, but our starting point and our ending point today is going to be Philippians 4. So if you would turn in your Bibles there. Uh, This last week of practicing the ways of Jesus is one that uh, I struggle with a lot personally. It's one that I think that many of us probably overlook and do not take a whole lot of time on. Maybe you're not like that. I know that everybody has a propensity for different things and things that become easier to some than others. Uh, But this particular one is a uh, practice that I didn't ever really thought about it being a practice before I started learning about the practices of Jesus. So it was kind of surprising to me. It's one that has changed me in a lot of ways, but I am still a work in progress like all of us here. Um, Let me just start off today with just a quote from a guy who uh, writes about it. Uh, He says this in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, John Ortberg says this. He says, joy is at the heart of God's plan for human beings. The reason for this is worth pondering a while. He says, joy is at the heart of God himself. We will never understand the significance of joy in human life until we understand its importance to God. He says, I suspect that most of us seriously underestimate God's capacity for joy. If you think about it for just a moment, how much time do you spend fretting or worrying or anxious? How much time do you spend upset angry? How much time do you spend just focused on really nothing except the tasks before you? And then compare that with how much time you spend celebrating and being joyful because of our Father and His Son. If we are created in God's image, shouldn't more and more of our time be increasingly spent celebrating as God celebrates? being filled with joy as God is filled with joy. That's what we're going to talk about today, the spiritual practice, the life practice of celebration. Now, I'll be honest with you, this week has not been a week that I feel like celebrating a whole lot. You ever had weeks that are just kind of not the celebratory kind? It's a little harder for me to celebrate this week, just in general, I'll celebrate the things that happen throughout the week. I've had several of those moments that were really good and brought me celebration in my heart. But as far as the spiritual practice, it's not so much about our circumstances as it is about practicing the way of Jesus. And this week and every week and every day should be one that we endeavor to practice all the ways of Jesus. In particular, I think the summation of all that we do as a Christian should drive us into celebration. See, God exults and rejoices in everything he does continually. 
without end. He rejoices and celebrates because God is a celebrating and rejoicing God. And that never stops. C.K. G.K. always messes up. G.K. Chesterton. It's a little tongue-tied for me. He has a quote that I thought really spoke to me as I was reading on this topic over the last couple of years. And um, I don't know about you, but in my life, I'm, I'm not the celebrator as much as I am the truth speaker. You know what I mean? Like my wife compliments me well in that way. She can look out over our backyard to the right and we look outside. It's a beautiful sunset almost every day. And she looks at that and she just is like, wow, look at what the Lord has done. You know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, the sunset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm learning as I am married to her for a few years now to see those things differently. The Lord's using her in my life in that way. But listen to what G.K. Chesterton says. He says, because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. You ever heard that from a kid? Do it again? Maybe umpteen times? He says, they always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. I always think it's funny to make faces at my kids or say something funny or do something really kind of I would never do in public or in front of you. You know what I mean? Something goofy. And they want to see it a thousand times. Maybe not that many, but it feels like that. But they could take it over and over and over again. He says, but perhaps God is strong enough to do what we cannot. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he's never gotten tired. making each one look similar or the same. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. And God commands us to be like him. You know the phrase, be holy, for I am holy, right? But somehow we've got into our minds that being holy means being solemn and pensive. Why do we think being holy means anything other than rejoicing and celebrating as our God rejoices and celebrates? Why do we think it means anything other than celebrating God's goodness toward us in all his gifts, including his son? Maybe holiness is in celebrating. Not in being quiet. Maybe it's time for us to begin celebrating every good and perfect gift that comes down from our Father of lights above. And rejoice in those gifts and the giver. Philippians 4.4 4 tells us, sure, just this one verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul says it twice. He wants us to get it. It's a command, by the way. It's imperative. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. That means keep on rejoicing. Never stop rejoicing. Rejoice and rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, 
I say rejoice to remind us again to do it. One of the most famous catechisms out there teaching us how to understand big doctrinal truth says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We know about the glorifying God part. We get that. But we often forget about the enjoying him forever, which the scriptures are replete with. So how much of our time is actually spent celebrating God and his gift to us? I believe that today we need to let our ears be open to hear and believe today that God himself is in, is in the eternal business of celebrating. He's in the eternal business of rejoicing. And he has created us to enjoy him and join him in his celebration. That's why he made us. That's why he has redeemed us, is that we might enjoy him as he actually enjoys us. We're going to look at it all throughout the scriptures. So let's start off this way about celebration and just see where it is in a few places. You might think, well, this sounds crazy. I've never thought too much about celebration, except for I know when, when he comes back, there's going to be a party. There's a few parties talked about that Jesus went to. You didn't know Jesus was called a drunkard and a glutton because he did celebrate so much, right? He wasn't a drunkard or a glutton. But you go back to Leviticus chapter 23, and you see that celebration is so important to God that he set forth regular days of feasting and celebration for his people. One of them talked about is in verse 39 on. It says, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, when you've brought in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest, and you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Seven days rejoicing in the Lord. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Sounds like some good times, doesn't it? How about if we just took seven days as a church each year and we just celebrated for seven days straight? Not only does he talk about doing it here in this part, but he commands his children to celebrate everywhere. Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all people. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. When's the last time you sang at the top of your lungs to the Lord? When's the last time you clapped? All right. Come on, Baptist. Here we go. Ready? Clap. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I mean, for real. When's the last time we, we clapped to the Lord? We were overwhelmed in our celebration. That we sang out at the top of our lungs. Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise
praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. It doesn't stop. The next psalm goes right into it. It's more praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name, listen, with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Man, it's filled. We're celebrating the Lord, who He is, what He's done, what He's promised to do. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 14. You might never have noticed this. In Deuteronomy 14, it talks about the tithes that you receive, tithes that you give, the things you've received, how you tithe out of that. He gives instructions in his instructions here about tithing. He says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to let his, set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. In other words, when he sets his temple in this place, and when you take all this tithe that you've collected, the first fruits of the land and all the ways, if it's too far when you go there for your vacation to go and praise the Lord and to celebrate, if it's too far, then sell all that stuff and get the money for it and then take that money to where the Lord's place is, where his name is. And you go there, and it says in verse 26, listen to this, and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So take that, do whatever it takes to rejoice in the Lord. Celebrate. You see, it's okay to enjoy God's creation. It is okay. In fact, we are commanded to do exactly that. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says to the Corinthians, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Everything we do, if we do it to his glory, it's to be enjoyed. But not only are we commanded to do it, I want to encourage you today that when we enter into the practice of celebration, it actually guards our hearts from sin. It helps to guard our hearts from sin. When we celebrate God and his son, our hearts are filled with love and joy in Jesus, and we celebrate the joy of the gospel. When we do that, the sin that might otherwise capture our hearts is in those moments seen for what it really is. Because in comparison to the Savior as we're celebrating him, 
That sin is actually seen for what it is, an infinitely lesser thing that cannot deliver what it promises because only Jesus really satisfies us. So if we're in the business of celebrating Jesus, it's really hard to fall into temptation. The scriptures show us that God uses celebration like this even to reorient our hearts and minds, not just from sin, but also from sorrow. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we see this going on. The people are gathered there, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the priests, the Levites who are there. They're trying to help the people as they're reading the scriptures over them in Nehemiah 8. It says, verse 9, that all the people wept as they heard the words of the law being read over them. And then Nehemiah said to them in verse 10, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, go celebrate. Listen to what it says in verse 11. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. Verse 12, And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The Lord can use our celebrating to turn us away from sorrow, even over our own sin, or the sins of our nation, the sins of our friends. It can turn our hearts to rejoicing, turn our hearts to gladness. Do you notice that even Jesus' life is steeped with celebration? I'll give you just a few pieces. The very beginning of his life is a celebration, right? Luke 2, 10, he enters the world in this high note of celebration. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then as he's about to exit the world, we see him in John chapter 15, 11, where he bequeaths his joy to the disciples. We see that here, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, talking about this, he said, abide in me, obey my commandments, walk with me, do as I have commanded. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's commanding them to enjoy him. John Ortberg says, the problem with people, according to Jesus here in John 15, 11, is not that we are too happy for God's taste, but that we are not happy enough. Lewis Smedes puts it this way, to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for your existence. Did you hear that? To miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for your existence. C.S. Lewis says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Ever thought about it that way? Does it in there, right? Jesus returns in the pictures of Revelation. When he comes back, it's going to be a great celebration with us, his bride. Revelation 19, 6 and 7. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Man, he's going to... Come back in glory and in celebration. Did you know it's not only meant that we are to celebrate the Lord, 
the scriptures make clear that he even celebrates us. Zephaniah 3.17 gives a taste, and then I'm going to jump to, jump to Luke 15. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Listen. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Listen to this. He will exult over you with loud singing. You ever thought about that? That the Lord loves you so much, that he enjoys you so much, that he is going to sing loudly in his joy for you. He's going to exult in praise over you because he loves you that much. He enjoys you. He celebrates you. Yes, in your being a sinner, but saved by the grace of Jesus, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you're becoming holier and holier every day as Jesus is being making you shaped in his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he is exulting over you. He will sing loudly over you. That can revolutionize your idea of who God is. He's a celebrating God. We see it in Luke 15 with the story that Jesus gives. You have the story of the prodigal son, we call it. Really, it's the prodigal God, the lavish father. Luke 15, this is after the son has gone and come back, and the father has run, been looking for him. He runs to meet him on the road. He covers him with his robe. He puts his ring on his finger. He kisses him, doesn't even give his son a moment to explain and he brings him in and he calls out for the fatted calf to be killed to throw a party because his son has come home. We pick it up in Luke 15, 23. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. That's not much like our celebrations, is it? There's music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. How many of us have been so used to life in the body that we are not even celebrating at the transformation and life change that the gospel brings in people. How many of us maybe even are so upset because we're not getting to celebrate the way that we want to celebrate when we forget that everything is already ours? If you're in Christ, all of heaven and earth is yours. You are co-heirs with Jesus. He's our older brother, and it's all ours. We've all inherited it already in Jesus Christ. It's all been given to him, and we are co-heirs with him. We can celebrate because all of it is ours. And even more so, he is ours. The one who gave his life for us to bring us into his family is ours. And we can celebrate that every day, no matter our circumstances. God is inviting us into his heavenly celebration. 
So let us learn what brings joy to God and then let us join him in the celebration daily, regularly, so that we might be filled with the same joy. It's not easy. You think, well, it's really easy to celebrate when something good happens and I'm aware of it, but what about when it's not so easy? You see, this spiritual practice of celebration is not only for the good times. One guy who writes about this practice says, some people live in such a way that it is impossible to have any kind of happiness in their home. But then they go to church and sing songs and pray in the spirit, hoping that God will somehow give them an infusion of joy to make it through the day. They are looking for some kind of heavenly transfusion that will bypass the misery of their daily lives and give them joy. But God's desire is to transform the misery, not bypass it. We need to understand that God does at times give us an infusion of joy in our bitterness and hard-heartedness, but that it is the abnormal situation when he does that. God's normal means of bringing his joy is by redeeming and sanctifying the ordinary junctures of human life. When the members of a family are filled with love and compassion and a spirit of service to one another, that family has reason to celebrate regardless of the circumstances. John Ortberg comments similarly in a shorter fashion. He says, one test of authentic joy is its compatibility with pain. Joy in this world is always joy in spite of something else. We see that in the scriptures, Lamentations, that very word means to cry out to the Lord in sorrow and anguish. Limitations 3.19, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. See the same thing going on with Paul and Silas as they're imprisoned in Acts 16. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Not knowing if they're about to go to their death, they're praying and singing hymns to God. Philippians 2, 17 and 18, Paul, knowing death is approaching, he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. See, it's not about our circumstances because the world around us is going to crash in upon us. The enemy is going to try to destroy us. Here's some questions, some exercises. Another author gives some of these to help us. This author says, if there is a heaviness about you, it's a reflection question, if there's a heaviness about you, an overly serious side, or an entrenched critical spirit, how might celebrating God affect these traits and move you into new areas of transformation? Just think about it. Or how about this spiritual exercise? Intentionally place yourself in the presence of God. Recall all of God's gifts, his provisions, his guidance, and love towards you. Maybe write them down, journal them. And then to celebrate God's grace to you, write a song of celebration. 
or maybe make a collage that represents your joy, or write a poem of praise, or play music. I listen to all that, and I go, like, I, I can't do any of that. Or maybe memorize a verse of praise and repeat it all through the coming days. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Lord, I'm not rejoicing right now. Help my heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Lord, I don't know how to rejoice right now. Remind me of the gospel. Remind me of how your son died for me. I can rejoice in that. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's really hard when I'm hurting or when somebody I love is hurting. Remind me of what you've done to overcome that eternally, Lord. Give my mind's eye the resurrection that I might see and know and taste and see that you are good. Another exercise given to do this, attend to the people who give you joy. In other words, figure out and ask God how you might celebrate them in a way that encourages them if they bring joy to you. It's a good spiritual practice. Ortberg goes on, I think it's the last time I'm going to mention him. He says, there's a being in this universe who wants you to live in sorrow, but it is not God. Francis de Salle wrote, the evil one is pleased with sadness and melancholy because he himself is sad and melancholy and will be so for all eternity. Hence, he desires that everyone should be like himself. But you see, we have a savior who does not want that for us. God has created us to be like him in his image. And if you've repented of your sin and believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you've been redeemed. You have been redeemed and you're being shaped more and more into the likeness of Jesus. So rejoice, brothers and sisters, and celebrate. Because we are not left to our own devices. We are not left in the ditch. We are not left in the slop like the prodigal son. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are declared holy, even though we are not, because of the righteousness of our Savior, our brother, Jesus. If you've been saved from your sin by the power of the gospel of Jesus, then you always have something to celebrate. So rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. You were lost. Now you're found. Rejoice. Celebrate. You were blind, but now you see. Rejoice, celebrate, brothers and sisters. Make much of him. He's made so much of us. Our sin is oh so great, but God's grace is greater than all our sin, especially in the face of Jesus Christ, his son. So rejoice. Even in the darkest of nights, the darkness cannot overcome the light that has come into the world whose name is Jesus. So let us rejoice in the light of the glory of his face. And no matter what pain presses down upon us, even to the depths of our souls, if we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we know Jesus drank down the worst of all pain on our behalf on the cross so that we could be saved from the pain of death and damnation. So let us rejoice, brothers and sisters. Let us celebrate. Let us glory and exult in our Savior. So no matter our circumstances, let us preach the gospel to ourselves so that we might glory and exult in him. Preaching the gospel to ourselves is an act of worship that always culminates in celebration for those who have been redeemed. 
It always does. Let's look at an example of that. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. I'm just going to read it over us. And notice that all the author is doing here, Peter, is addressing truths of the gospel to the people he's writing to. And this is what we preach to ourselves. And if you go, I can't preach, I can't remember all that, it's okay. You got the word for that. Let the word wash over you. But let me just let it wash over you now. Just listen. He starts off, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, let him be exalted. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You could sit on one of those words in any of those verses so far, and you could just ask God to show you the depth of that, and it would overwhelm you so that you might celebrate him. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just on that one. You are not holding your salvation in your hand. It is not up to you. You can relax and trust the Father because He is holding you in His grip and there is none that can take you out of His hand. Praise the Lord. No matter what you've done, no matter how you failed, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how, how horrible you have been at some point, no matter how many times you've not done the right thing, it's okay if you're His, He loves you and He holds you in His hand. Your salvation is not kept by your ability to keep the law. Your salvation is kept by His ability to keep hold of you. Praise the Lord. That is good news. We should celebrate that good news. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? This, this couple of verses, do you hear that? Look at it one more time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why have you been grieved by various trials? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, which perishes when tested by fire, the tested genuineness, skip that little parenthetical statement to make it make more sense quickly, right? If in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You might be going through a trial simply for the reason that your faith will be shown genuine and tested so that at the coming of Jesus, He is glorified. Praise the Lord. That we might be honored so that we go through anything that brings Him glory? Praise the Lord. Celebrate the Lord. Thank you, Lord. How good is our Savior. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. When's the last time your joy was inexpressible? For me, 
I find that the reason it is not to that level of joy is often because I have not spent enough time staring into the face of Jesus. If we stare into his face, if we see him for who he is and what he's done for us, if we walk through these things and ask God to reveal every bit of it as we pray it back to him, Lord, show me how it's imperishable. Remind me of how it never goes away. Undefiled, holy, pure, good, righteous. It's in those times where my joy becomes inexpressible and I have not the words. What would it look like if we became a faith family who celebrated the Lord in those ways? What would it look like if our daily lives were more consumed with rejoicing in the Lord? And again, I say rejoice. Than in worry or fretting or anger or heartache or mischief or any of the other things that could take our hearts. How would it change our faith family? How would it change our witness? How would it change our own souls. Practicing the discipline of celebration. It's really not that difficult. It's just stopping to take the time to see Jesus long enough to recognize that every single thing about who he is and what he's done and what he's promised to do is worth celebrating. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Today may be the first time you're hearing this. Today may be the first time that you've ever pierced your heart. If that's the case, today is a day of repentance and salvation for you. Turn from your ways apart from him. Turn to him and put your hope and faith in Jesus now. Do not take one more moment of your life for granted, but put yourself into a place of submission to the Lord because he submitted himself for you on the cross. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look whole in his wonderful, beautiful face. And let all these things of the world that you're holding on to grow strangely dim as he works in your heart and soul to save you by his grace. And then turn yourself over to him as he's given himself over for you. Believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you've already done that, and today is a day where you need to repent of some sin, for all of us do, then I ask you today to run back to the Savior again. As Tyler spoke beforehand, He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let us return to the Lord and celebrate him and rejoice in him always. And again, I say, rejoice. Father, we need your grace and your mercy. We need your kindness. Lord, we need everything to be revealed to us in a way that changes us. For, Lord, we cannot. We've tried over and over and over again to reveal ourselves, but, Lord, we cannot seem to do it. So, Father, I pray that you would work in us, that your spirit would move in us and lead us to the path that brings you glory and honor, that we would walk in your ways, that we would be changed to look more and more like Jesus, not just in our perfections, but in our practicing life, doing life, and that we would not only look that way for our own self, and certainly not for our glory, but so that others would see us in our humility, in our brokenness, in our confessing of our sins, and give you honor and glory, because we must decrease, but you must increase, Lord. Work in us, show us how to walk in your ways, and we ask that you do that for your glory and for our joy in you, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.